0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. In this long, hot summer of 2020, we've talked about the ways in which the coronavirus crisis and its main and its many subsequent crises from the crisis of capitalism to race relations is changing everything. We've talked about how 2020 is unique but there's some things about 2020 which aren't unique. There are some things which are indeed unchanging. Uh, when it comes, for example, to corruption and the corrosive nature of corruption, 2020 is probably no different from any other year in the 21st or 20th century. Corruption, unfortunately, then is an endemic part of our culture, of our civilization, of global societies. Uh, Robert Rotberg is uh, an. Uh, 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 an anti-corruption writer and thinker and activist. He's written a really interesting new book called Anti-Corruption, which focuses on how to to get rid of corruption. Uh, Robert, before we talk about anti-corruption, what exactly in your mind is corruption? Corruption is
1: very strictly the 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 transfer of elected office into personal gain. So it's taking advantage of a public position for uh, private advantage. And that's the most common definition. The second definition or the, the ancillary definition is the abusing of public trust for private
0: gain. So it's this confusion of the public and the private. Was my introduction wrong? Uh, Is 2020, when it comes to the history of corruption, is it no different really from any other year in the early part of the 21st century? Is corruption today on the rise?
1: Corruption on today is definitely on the rise. 2020 is worse than any other year. You have heads of state in more than one important global country abusing their public position for private gain. We can go through maybe six or eight countries just just immediately. Uh, then, Then there is far more grand corruption as opposed to petty corruption in large parts of the globe. All of Africa most of uh, Asia, most of Latin America. So it's far worse and far more prevalent than it was in 2019, 2018, 2017. And back into possibly the 18th century is the period
0: that's most prevalent, most common, most similar to our own. Wow, so things are really bad in 2020. Who in particular... Uh, and I'm, I'm guessing you're going to bring up the T-word. Who, in particular, is guilty of corruption uh, in, in the highest offices of, of large countries today? Is it well? Let's
1: trying- let's start um, a little bit farther field. You have a president of the recent president of South Africa, Jacob Zuma, who's on trial for grand corruption by very simply using his the office to uh, build himself a $25 million estate, to uh, sell part of South Africa to uh, three Indian family members, and generally to uh, cut a deal with Uh, France and other arms makers to uh, steal huge amounts of money for himself Uh, then you can shift over to Malaysia where the former prime minister is on trial right now for uh, conniving to take oh roughly uh, three billion billion dollars out of the Malaysian exchequer to fund his wife's jewelry, to fund uh, houses in Hollywood, and much more than that. Uh, I could go on and on. But if you come right to the present, you come to the president of Brazil, who's only been in office two years, who um, uh, has got all sorts of deals going, himself and his two sons, to steal from, from the state. This is after his predecessors, including uh, beloved President uh, Inacio Lula da Silva, who who's, was in jail for nine years for uh, conniving with Petrobras to, uh, uh, to over-inflate contracts for, with a big construction country, company and get the proceeds and then you can move to the United States where uh, yesterday the president's daughter was advertising Goya Foods on television in public and the president himself was shilling for uh, various products both yesterday and then weeks before not to mention all the deals he may have cooked up for his own uh, real estate em- empire, not to mention his hotel in Washington, so there are all all kinds of things. And after he leaves office, uh, you know, doubtless he'll doubtless be pursued for embezzlement as well as other forms of uh, corruption.
0: So you've given us uh, a, a, a chilling panoramic view of the of the of the troubling nature of contemporary corruption from South Africa and Malaysia to Brazil and the United States uh, Robert why the corruption is it the old Jesse James uh, observation when he was asked why he robs banks because they're there uh, are politicians corrupt because they can be uh, yes and the
1: history of 18th century Britain and 18th century U.S. and 19th century U.S. shows that uh, people put their hands in the till. Yes, because they could also to enhance their power and sense of self-esteem. Also, because they have people they have to pay off. Um, um, Jacob Zuma and... uh, Prime Minister uh, Razik of Malaysia uh, essentially have to distribute some of the goods that they steal to keep themselves in office. So a lot, is it, a lot of it is patronage. Uh, and that's been the case in uh, rotten boroughs of uh, 18th century, 19th century Britain. Uh, uh, George Eliot wrote about it in uh, Middlemarch. Um, and in several of her other novels Um, it's 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 been there now the 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 question is why has um, have the better countries moved away from allowing their politicians to steal and And i
0: uh, i assume you use that word better in inverted commas
1: no, I would, there are countries which, where corruption is virtually absent now. Uh, on every continent, there are some countries that are very good. Um, some have reformed from uh, days when life wasn't so clean. But now there are countries that are pretty clean. And uh, the U.S. used to be one of them
0: i'm I'm intrigued with your analysis of the us and Trump, this collapsing of the personal and the uh, and, and the public uh, where Trump seems to think of himself as the state or that his interests and the state's interests are the same, and that anything good for him is good for America and anything bad for him is bad for America. Is that the the core element of corruption, this collapsing of the personal and the public? The disappearance disappearance of of the ethic, the civic ethic.
1: Yes, that's certainly the case. And with him, it was immediately noticeable during his campaign in 2016 when he refused to release his uh, tax filings. And no president since Nixon has refused to do that um even nixon did so even though he was a crook too uh, but he was a lesser crook as it turns out and every president every candidate has uh, uh shown their tax filings um and this year as of this very moment trump has refused to file has failed to file his ethics uh, uh, statement for this year, every president is required every year to file a statement of a salary and interest and, and financial benefits. He has not yet done so. And he's 45 days late already. And he's been given 45 days more to do so. This extends it out toward the, uh, the election. Uh, but your, your point is, is correct. Um, Um, The other point about Trump one should mention is uh, whether or not he's ever found guilty of the emoluments clause, he's certainly guilty of pushing the limits of the emoluments clause in the Constitution um, to its very limit by, uh, by still having control of the Trump real estate organization even though he's given over management to
0: his sons. Uh, Robert, your book is, is about anti-corruption, how to fight corruption. You argue uh, in the book, which is extremely readable, um, a, a quick, uh, uh, energetic read full of really interesting information and, uh, and, and thoughts about how to fight corruption, you say... We need to make corrupt acts seem shameful. And, and you use that word shameful. But I'm wondering with people like Donald Trump and Bolsonaro in, in, um, in, in Brazil and, and Zuma in South Africa, whether it's possible to shame men of, uh, of, of, of this ilk, given their narcissism, their cult of themselves, their inability to reflect on anything beyond their own interests. Can we shame people like that? No, those people who have
1: no uh, n- no id in psychological terms. No, we can't shame them. Trump is shameless, as his niece as his niece has just written in her book. Uh, he has no uh, self control on his ego, but most other people, maybe not Bolsonaro, but most other people ultimately um have a sense of uh, a limiting sense that they they know when they've gone too far and and shame comes in at that point even Nixon um had a sense of uh, right and wrong he knew he knew how far he could really push it
0: yeah uh we often associate strong men with being corrupt, but not all strong men, of course, are corrupt. In fact, one of the uh, examples you use in your book, Lee Kuan Yew of of Singapore, uh, built uh, uh, at best a quasi-democratic system or a soft kind of authoritarianism in Singapore, a one-party state. And yet he seems to be the model of anti-corruption. So my question is, is twofold. Firstly, I'm assuming that democracies and um you, you you can have uh you can have semi-authoritarian regimes which are also deeply anti-corrupt and, and secondly perhaps one strategy for fighting corruption is not through democracy but through the kinds of systems that lee kuan yu is building in singapore
1: yes lee kuan Yew. Uh, is is a poster child for anti-corruption because he realized that the only way he could effectively remain in office as Prime Minister of Singapore was by delivering the goods to his erstwhile constituents. And he realized that if he were corrupt, and or if he permitted corruption, he would lose the backing of considerable number of his uh, followers and constituents. So he made a conscious decision to extirpate corruption, which which was wild in Singapore before he uh, he uh, took over. Uh, Singapore, under British colonial rule, was a cesspool of, of corruption, and had been so for a couple hundred years, and the corruption was run by Chinese mafia gangs in uh, Singapore. Lee Kuan Yew, who knew every bit about the gangs because he had been a uh, uh, legal advisor to the communist-run uh, trade unions, uh, made a determination for, for in his own self interest, you could say, to make Singapore clean so that he himself would remain um, in office as long as possible. And now his son, of course, is is uh, is prime uh, prime minister.
0: So of course, uh, Singapore offers uh, the authoritarian model of fighting corruption, but there are effective democracies as well in confronting uh, corruption. And you introduced Denmark and Sweden as as models for doing this. Uh, Robert, what are the Danes and the Swedes doing effectively in fighting corruption?
1: Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, New Zealand, Canada, Australia, all moved in Denmark at first in the late 18th century, Moved under a, a, a monarchy at first to spread the notion that fairness and integrity were sure paths to national success. And one of those components was removing corruption. And it took Denmark hundred years to really remove corruption. It took Sweden, Norway, Finland, all of which were originally part of Denmark, uh, to continue to remove corruption. And a good example is Canada, because prime ministers of Canada were publicly taking bribes for contracts in 1890, but by 1925, 1930, Canada had reformed. And that's where shame came into the national picture in all these countries. And uh, simply it became, it switched over 30, 40 years from becoming okay to take bribes to it being very shameful to take bribes in those countries which had uh, an overriding sense uh, of of the fundamental importance of of honesty in, uh, in, in public life.
0: You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help, too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.